Sweet, yeah. Mudshrew Podcast, episode 14. We're still alive! We did it! Yeah. We're still here, man. We're still here. How you doing? I'm alright, yeah. man. How are you? Hello. I'm, I'm sweet. Yeah, I'm better now that I'm here with you. Well, that's a nice thing to it's say. It's very sweet and it's very cute. Appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> Really nice. Do you want to tell the people who you are? And I thought you were going to give me a big grandiose what you're introduction. About. I but, don't. Uh, I well, I'll do it myself. <laughs> oh, that's put a lot of pressure on me now. <laughs> that's put a lot of pressure on me. Um, no, that's fine. I would, but I don't actually know your second name. I was going to ask. <laughs> so I'll put it in the. <laughs> I was going to put it in the. Um, in the title. Right. Well, I'm but, Jay. To you, obviously. Yeah. I'm Jay Humphries. I am. Um, a spoken word poet and um, vocalist with the band DSB Dirty Scrounging Bastards mm-hmm. um, I've been running the Loft recording and rehearsal studios for a bunch of years now um, alongside my band um, and and that's all I can think to say about myself decent, currently. decent, decent sweet, alright, well I don't know, was that grandiose enough for you? I think so, I mean I think that can given, can the mic hear you? If you're given sat far away, I usually I usually go for it like where I'm sat, like I'm oh. sort of being intimate with the microphone. You know, it's right, like okay, like this, like yeah, sort of yeah, sweet, sweet microphone. Yeah, now you can hear like this <laughs> proper croak of my voice and everything. Kind of now I can Barry White it. That's better. Okay. Yeah, my truth, my truth. Um, so yeah, like you say, poet, musician. Uh, the founder and originator of where we are right now, which is the Loft Music Studio um, in Long Eaton, which is uh, a great little space if you need anything done music-wise. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Yeah, we've been here for, well, I'm one of the founders. We've been here for, I think it's probably like 10, 12 years, a long time, a long time, since I was a younger man. Um, it was set up with a friend. What were you like as a younger man? Because I haven't... I'm straight in there. Straight I, in I've there. only met you relatively recently. Like, um, I've met you a few times. We've had a couple of interesting conversations. You've been very uh, supportive and accommodating of of everything that I'm trying to accomplish, which I, I appreciate. Like, I'm very grateful that you would allow me to use this space. And uh, I was going around for ages, you know, um, just looking for like a base of operations, right? And then I came in. It was like. I sort of need a place to use as a base of operations. And then you were like, oh, yeah, sweet. Yeah, well, I mean, sweet uh, sweet ass. It's it's good to have people wanting to sort of do things that are not just like come in and practice with a band and go, which is, you know, I'm not not, like, I've got nothing against that. Obviously, that's what the place is for. Mm. Um, But it's really nice to have sort of people that feel more more grounded here and at home rather than just like consider themselves customers. And we don't have customers, no one makes money. So. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we have customers, patrons. The Loft has patrons. Um, sure. So, but um, that's what I like about it. Though. It's like it's this sort of, it's more of like a, like an art space, a studio, right? That's what we're trying to encourage now. I think. Um, yeah. We've sort of. Was was that how you you started it uh, originally? Is because uh, I think. Do you want to just? You know, you've told me the story before about how you sort of got started and and what it was, but. From what I understand, you started it as that sort of idea. as that well, yeah, sort what of collective. it was, was myself and my friend were both in different bands. Um, he was in a band that had a, their own um, residency at a rehearsal space um, in Nottingham. And that place was closing down. My band needed somewhere to play. So 
um, we'd like not long formed and we were actually playing uh, in one of our mates parents uh, upstairs rooms so it was a long time ago you know uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so we got this place between us um, and sort of covered the rent with our bands chipping in but then we got a few other bands in over like people that we knew from from Long Eaton came in and, and rehearsed here as well and, and gave us money chipped in on the rent mm. and then eventually we just started like sort of word of mouth spread and more people started coming in so we started a, we built a second rehearsal room and started sort of trying to at that point trying to get more people and there was an idea at one point that it could be this could be a place that you could make a living out of and and sort of use it as a rehearsal space make that would be my job sort of thing but yeah. that sort of idea is long gone man it don't work like there, there's not <laughs> there's not enough money so like it's never enough money the best you can hope is that we, we make a, enough money comes in each month that um keeps the equipment in good repair yeah. and do you know what I mean? pays the rent and the insurance yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. about it so so that's where we're at now there's and, a lot uh, of um, for the last couple of years there's a lot of authenticity that. in that you know there's a lot of um people talk about realness and authenticity and like you you know like i feel like if you do have a sort of multi-million dollar like music studio or space or whatever then there's something a little bit less uh authentic about that because it's not as it's not as like grassroots it's not uh you know i feel like you come from literally you come from the earth Oh, you like, you've uh, risen up well, from the soil itself there's this, there's this like irony isn't there yeah. about being a professional musician and trying to like represent anything that's not um professional musician i mean as soon as you become sort of a professional musician you're you're then detached from the world oh, look that at me. I'm, a, I'm a professional look um, at me yeah, yeah. You, i mean even if it's not sort of a conscious way you, you play think the triangle more highly of yourself you um you, you then i suppose detach yourself from a world around you and to be in a place how, like how this, do you mean? Like, well, how do you mean? I mean, the more money you've got, the more successful you are as a recording artist or whatever. The more, it, it, to to use fame. When someone achieves fame, they then there's less time to have a normal yeah. life, isn't there? Yeah. To, be, to be attached to the world around you. So, you've got all these trappings that allow you to apparently re- create better music to a higher standard. Sure. But you're losing your connection to the things that influenced you to create the music in the first place. So this is an accident that we're here in this place. You say it's like genuine and it's real and it's good. I mean, obviously we didn't do it on purpose, but yeah, we, I do feel like it is that. It's not yeah. like, well, um, obviously I can't really say what we would do if we were offered the position where we had all the trappings and the money, if we would change. But it's nice to have this sort of community that's been built around it where there's regular people that come here the same time every week um, we know they're going to be here. The bands cross paths with each other. People have started to get to know each other and talk to each other. Now, the person that introduced us, Dan, the music teacher mm-hmm. and Dan musician, he's, he's uh, based here now permanently. Um, so he's, he's moved in and become <coughs> sort of a regular feature of the place. Um, it's just really nice to have people sort of not just... Since we since I stopped stopped thinking that one day I would make money from running a music studio... Yeah. I've come to really actually just enjoy the fact that just the we've got a goddamn just, music yeah. studio, man, and that's awesome. Like when that's I was beautiful. a kid, I would have, I would have pissed my pants to have had a music studio, and a lot of the time well, I don't really appreciate yeah. that, you know. Like I yeah. sort of I've fallen into it. It was all accidental, and I've, but now we've got this place that that we can record whenever we want, when, um, without any pressures of anyone telling us that you've got to do it at a time, like yeah. because exactly because we're not successful musicians or because we're not famous. 
so I feel like we're making the best yeah. music and the best art we could. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. well, it's not something. We're this aspire. is this is the thing changes everything. It's not something we aspire to anymore. I think that's liberating. Did that's you aspire to that well. at one point? I think everyone probably does as a musician when they're a kid. Although everyone, you've, there's this mythology around music where people say, oh, "I'm just in it for the music, man." You know, there's all that, but yeah. but when you're a kid, like everyone sort of dreams that maybe one day I'll get recognised and I'll get like this thing called signed where like I get like loads of money thrown at me and, and suddenly everything's alright but I know yeah. we don't I don't aspire to that anymore it's definitely cliche. as a kid I did but I sort of it's, it's not even real is it it doesn't exist no, and if it does it's it's not something I want I'm, I'm too old for to, to have crazy dreams like that man. Yeah. I'm 38 years old and I just want to make some music and fair enough man. it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing so what is um, I don't, like we? What do you want to do here? Like, because I sent you um, last time we came. We tried to do this once before. It was episode thirteen. It was on Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> yes. Needless to say, it didn't go very well. Uh, a surprising amount of technical problems. Yeah, for surprising. A two microphone surprising. Setup, surprising. Right? Yeah. So um, so I, t- I sent you a text of of a couple of things um to talk about and that. Um, mm. what do you do? You want to go through them all? I did read that text. Yeah, I did you really? I've forgotten what it said now. All right. Well, I thought what I expected was that I would prep for it and be like, really, sort of like, this is my time to shine. I'm going to answer all these <laughs> questions really concisely. But actually, I uh, I've got nothing. All right. So one, I wanted to know a little bit about your experiences with psychedelic substances, and oh. two. Um, everything you've got going on but Stu, we've already touched on that a little bit the poetry project uh, Scum yeah. Scum Poetry um, relationship what's your relationship like with creativity I know for me at the minute it doesn't feel like some mystical magical divine beautiful process it's a grind and a slog but then again you do have these moments in life where it all comes together so we can go into all sorts there inspiration synchronicity all that i remember that question yeah that's yeah. a good question thank you man i'm full of them yeah. okay. <laughs> i've got it's all not of very it. distinct but we can we can definitely and talk then about that. um the different ways uh the arts have uh influenced um had profound impacts on people's lives throughout history um well let's start with that because i've got some opinions on that yeah let's start with that I've got some opinions Right, a uh, little technical problem there. <laughs> uh, d- despite the fact that we're in a recording studio, obviously, as I said, I did fall into this by accident, and I don't really know what I'm doing. So we were recording ourselves on a loop there. Yeah, yeah. Picture if you will, uh, the the film man on the film set with like that the clip thing, you know, where it's like it claps the together. Clapperboard. Clapperboard. Yeah. yeah, like the clip thing. Yeah, man. So what we were talking about, um, the ways that art has influenced people and humanity and everything everything starts from an idea, right? This is my hypothesis, right? Everything, no matter what it is, whether it's this studio, whether it's like the schematics for the room, whatever it is. That's a big word that I pulled out my arse on. Schematics. <laughs> is that even a word? I yeah, don't I, know. That's a word. <laughs> but yeah, everything starts from the nucleus of an idea. And I believe that, you know, you can trace, create, 
uh, creative expression back to uh, the fucking Stone Age, man, to the cave people in Africa, like, dancing around, like, looking at the stars and, like, project it. I read um, in this book once... Uh, wait, I don't know. I'm going to look it up because it's a decent quote and I don't want to butcher it. Bear with, bear with, bear with. Keep talking, keep talking. Improvise, oh, improvise, <laughs> improvise. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's more saying, it's, You're, it's, like, having a go at yourself for not being professional. I'm he? the least professional <laughs> dude of all time. Um, it's even more primal than that, isn't it? When you go yeah. back to a... Oh, you found it. Yeah, yeah. Astrological go. images are projections <laughs> of psychic images, right? So that's talking about how uh, you would look into the darkness of the night sky and then project... Uh, your your inhibitions and your flaws and your sort of uh, your transient experience as a human being as, as being sort of clueless and uh, sort of um, not clueless but being part being something so small in something so big right uh-huh. and you can uh, so people would look into the stars and then project their lives their hopes their dreams everything into that into the infinite and i believe that's what creativity is it's sort of like a give and take where you you go into the sort of bottomless potential that each and every individual human being has within them because it's connected to some kind of um infinite narrative almost you know everything can be looked at in the form of a narrative, in the form of a story, in the form of poetry, and and um, an art. You know. You feel in some way like creativity is something that's given to you, then that you you're not sort of. It's not something. I, be- I believe to the it's a God-given right. I believe, you know, and especially since I feel like during this whole lockdown period, like everyone is. Uh, well maybe hopefully I mean I talked a little bit about uh, about this with Dan on the last episode we did over the phone a couple of months ago but we were talking about people sort of recognising the bullshit of, of the society we're living in and and, and recognising their ability to do something creative it doesn't matter if it's like a finger painting or if it's like the Sistine fucking chapel it's the same thing it comes from the same place you know yeah yeah so someone's a uh... But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't at all doubt everybody of right to be creative. Yeah, obviously yeah. that's some, but it's something that's challenged more and more, isn't it? And I suppose um, not a right to be creative is one thing, but I haven't used creativity or another thing. And and this is something that's uh, is that is that what you by do, the world around uh, you? Isn't there? What do you what do you make of the the world around you and the tools at your disposal? And how do you use them to be creative? How does a person with access to less be, be an artist to the best of their ability mm. without I mean yeah like you say the Sistine Chapel or a doodle on a pen on a pa- piece of paper is uh, uh, coming from the same spark but they they don't get the the same amount of attention and it's possible yeah. that the person that did the doodle could do something as mm-hmm. as a, uh, accomplished as the Sistine Chapel yeah with, but that's, with the that's, right support you know, but, like hip-hop so. and the origins of hip-hop comes from the the you know from the Bronx you know when it was on fire when everything was burning down it comes from that chaos it comes from that um, versus like the fucking aristocracy or whatever doing like um, the Sistine Chapel doing 
portraits doing whatever it is you know yeah I agree, different actually, types of art and different types of creativity come from different types of people because everyone has their own individual experience and that's what i feel so beautiful that's what i think is so abhorrent about um about places like north korea and communist china and because you remove the the ability for someone to be an individual you remove the ability for someone to express themselves as they are as they uh were born as they uh as they think as they feel as they breathe and you exchange that for what some abstract idea of you what a state you is think or, like, a, you or you, you know. don't think we have uh, limitations our society puts limitations on creativity so so what is yeah there's um there's governmental controls that say it's you don't have a right to be creative but i suppose what i was trying to drive at is that um we don't no no one questions your right to be creative but the amplification of your voice Mm -hmm. by the structures and systems around you is a different thing altogether you have a right to be creative but who's going to choose to that you should be listened to this is still something that is that is um, decided from the top in, in a top oh, no. down structured like, society, yeah. isn't it? So how do we overcome that? Like, like, in, an, so in an ideal world, like no one, like, no one, no one should be like forced at gunpoint to listen to this podcast as like a creative, um, as a creative product in a way or creative no, output. So, no one, no, you're not going like, to. No, I'm not talking about that exactly. This podcast. What I'm saying is that if if you, creative voices, some some are amplified above others by capitalist structures by, okay. by having money thrown behind them so we all have the right to be creative but some people's creativity is going to be noticed more than others can you give me this. an example so, of that well i mean all the the entire music industry is like that isn't it well, we're just talking about people making music in small places like this for the benefit of themselves and the small groups of people around them versus somebody that has um a million pounds in in a promotion put behind their album Right, and then becomes a, a successful icon off that. When I mean, what what are the differences? I, what the structural differences yeah. that are stopping one person and another becoming a, a, a famous, as a successful recording artist? Mm. That's probably where me and you disagree to a certain extent. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with being in a multi-million pound studio and making. If you want to be like Beyonce, if you want to be like fucking Louis Capaldi being in the charts for like a year or something you can do that and you can do that if that's you and if that's no, uh, you don't have to like it you don't have to you can listen to it and you can go alright this is this is not my thing I'm gonna go back and listen to this like obscure experimental hip hop record from like 97 or whatever no you know? no exactly no that's of course I don't I mean, everyone's entitled to listen to it what I'm interested in though is how we can use what are you interested in then? how we can use art and creativity to alter people's perceptions of how society functions if we think we 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 understand something about society that that um the majority of people may may understand differently and we would like people to understand things how do we use our creativity that i think that's what a lot of people use art for we use art to try and persuade people of Mm -hmm. something don't we and if we're trying to persuade people then and our voices aren't being amplified then we're not persuading as many people so what people are being persuaded of by the mainstream music industry um not uh, across the board and not entirely mm-hmm. but primarily what people are being uh, reminded of and what yeah. people are being persuaded to do is to purchase uh, to consume mm-hmm. aren't they mm-hmm. when obviously what you're interested in doing is persuading people to feel and to think um and to 
to, to express themselves and That's we, the we idea, would like yeah. people to, to open up their, their thoughts and feelings and to, to sort of embrace because you have because that's you know if you don't do that then you're not living like do you know Kano yeah yeah Kano like Kano's got this lyric that I love where it's like if you ain't dreaming then you ain't living it's 100% true if you ain't dreaming then you ain't living so it's it says it all you know but we're, we're so and we if know. you if you were the figurehead of like just the the music industry at large right and you had uh, and you were projecting those ideas to a wider audience and it wasn't just sales 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 uh product 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 shifting units like nirvana had a song where it's like a radio friendly yeah, unit yeah. shifter like taking the piss out of that very idea right so if you were there at the top of the hierarchy or at the top of the pyramid projecting these ideas of free self-expression very like hippie like philosophy right but if you were projecting these ideas of of free self-expression um free love free um the ability to sit down and, and write a song like no matter how uh obscene it is or like or where it comes from or you know like i'm i'm curious if if you want to talk about it you don't have to but what made you want to be an artist what made what was your background where like did you did you have anything because i'm coming from a place of of pain i'm coming from a place of trauma and trying to um and trying to heal those wounds through self-awareness through uh through growth through um well, that's certainly not the things that... An authentic expression of self. They're definitely not the things that made me want to be an artist, but maybe they've become things that I've sort of wrapped up into my identity as thinking of myself as an artist in later life. Yeah. Funny you should mention Nirvana, because one of the, the first thing that made me want, like, sort of want to be, uh, be an artist, as opposed to... I remember I wanted to learn to play guitar because... I liked Guns N' Roses and I thought Slash was cool as fuck and I wanted to be able to play guitar like that mm. and I still can't obviously 25 years later but but that was what made me want to learn to play like guitar two bands he's got his own <laughs> music studio like. I cannot play like Slash I know but, then, but it's um, that a bad thing. You don't have to play no, like Slash. No, no, no. You don't have but to. But then years later, I, I um, a few years later after after this, so sort of, like, um, I was introduced to Nirvana, and that was the thing that made me realise that this sort of um, intense assault type of music, that what I was really drawn to was the aggression of the music. That it could also be um, used for something positively political and um, sort of um, and anti-misogynist, anti-racist, mm-hmm. and sort of mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, these things that that I certainly didn't see in Guns N' Roses that I, n- I never yeah, although Roses I really liked the music as a child as, as, as I was getting a bit older well, into my teens you start to sort of notice things and yeah. I'm thinking man these lyrics are horrible like what what's this dude singing about this is this is terrible I've got sisters and a mom and I don't I wanna... love how Axl Rose is like he's morphed into the very idea of like what we you would expect a misogynist scumbag oh, to be oh, like man. have you seen him lately he's a mess I've not no I, I stay away from pictures of Axl Rose like <laughs> I listen. I listened to Guns N' Roses when I was a kid. I remember, yeah. like, I, I listened so what, to what them before you... music videos, like, but before I could watch music videos. So I heard them, and I saw a few little pictures in magazines, and I saw pictures of Slash, yeah. and thought it was cool as fuck. Mm-hmm. And then in later life, I saw some music videos that they'd made, and oh my! I, if I'd have seen them when I was a kid, I don't know what my childish self would yeah. have. Maybe I would have liked them still, but yeah. but they're just horribly embarrassing. <laughs> so, so how did you how did you mature from 
Guns N' Roses, and then you got into Nirvana, and then that shit that exposed you to what the socio-political elements of music. Yeah, and... really. I think it was it definitely was that that was a turning point, and yeah. then I started to sort of investigate like the roots of where Nirvana was coming from, and that there was a musical um, traditional history of music being anti-establishment yeah. and and, um, and actually progressive, and not just sort of parroting divisive. Divisive shit, you know, like Guns and Roses did. <laughs> <laughs> that's not like that's not the only example of of something that was divisive, though. You know, like there's a there's a reason there's a reason why like NWA came out and they were projecting their ideas, their truth, their my truth <laughs> of um of what their lives was like is um. And that is so relevant, like even to this day, but yeah, they, especially now with everything that's going, been going on recently. Um, but they, because they, they got shut down. They got sh- so. What do you think about um, censoring creative work and cen- censoring art and? It's a very difficult thing to navigate. And I don't, yeah, I don't believe in censorship, obviously. Me neither. Uh, me neither we, we but, should, but then we've just had this discussion where there I are certain sort of, there um, are certain lines, right? And I don't know where they are exactly because I'm not knowledgeable about this kind of thing to be able to speak on it properly. But I'm going to try anyway because why not? Is there are certain lines that you can cross, right? And there's fewer and fewer of them lines coming out now because of the internet and people are crazy or whatever if you cross them lines then you'll piss the establishment off you know it's not like you'll be it's not like you'll be taken away in a black van or whatever but you know so you're saying that you're like we we self-censor because um because of what because of of, to protect ourselves against societal repercussions yeah but that's that's just an abstract thing we do 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 that we do do that yeah it's an it's an abstract you're subscribing to these abstract concepts of like I um, my trajectory was alright I went to college I wanted to be a filmmaker dropped out uh, and for a long time I sort of associated who, who I was and my um, my sort of personhood and my sense of identity with where I fit on the sort of social ladder or on the sort of uh, socioeconomic ladder and the um, financial ladder and you know and you associate yourself with these things that don't actually have anything to do with who you are as a person or even as an artist right but you subscribe to them anyway because they're a mold that everyone else has just subscribed to for the past 150 years and anything else that's different to that is strange or scary or terrifying so yeah this self-censorship it comes yeah what you're talking about molding ourselves to uh, attaching ourselves to different groups and then the self-censorship not necessarily coming from from a a high up elite um, establishment but it could come from even your peer like the influence from your peers around you and I think yeah we do do that I think this uh, when a lot regarding what you were just saying about the um, I I assume you were referring to the police brutality and the protests that have sprung up in in relation to that, I'm, um, I've completely fucking lost my train of this. I just wanted, because I was thinking, like, uh, smoothly, it was going to be a smooth transition. It was going to be the smoothest transition of all time. But it was going to be like, um, how did your experiences with uh, psychedelics play into that, right? Because obviously, like, 
music psychedelics like there's a lot of there's a history of anti-establishment terrorism is that the thing <laughs> or whatever and um and that and sort of free think and shifting your perception yeah can you speak on that a bit? on psych- psychedelics have shifted my perceptions of of uh of what we are but um in relation to to being rela- I didn't I wasn't drawn to them through through art or music or anything it was just somebody that introduced me to this idea it was actually through mental health development um but there is some something to do with censorship and anti-establishment uh, or establishment um censorship mm. that has sort of stopped us from exploring these angles yeah so obviously psychedelics are associated with the counterculture <coughs> of the 1960s mm. with hippies and with um all these different concepts that we've now sort of written off as hedonistic um and psychedelics have been demonized and written off by society at large and definitely by the mainstream media as something that are just done for fun and i did do them for fun when i was younger um took a lot of magic mushrooms and i really really enjoyed it but there was always something that was there that was like a bit like it was a bit more than just fun i felt like there was something profound i read some of your the doors of perception by aldous huxley and he was talking about these different levels of consciousness that that, that exists that maybe consciousness isn't something that exists from within but it's from without and you can achieve access to these different levels of consciousness mm-hmm. by opening the doors of perception with these substances but then I sort of gave up on that I, I don't know why I, I just uh, I think well magic mushrooms were legal at the time you could go in and buy, in, buy them in a shop in Nottingham yeah. called yeah. Ice Night and you could yeah. buy them in a shop called Salamander in Derby and then there was a court case that said you couldn't buy them anymore they were a class A drug mm-hmm. so then I suppose that stopped and about a year ago, I was introduced to the substance ayahuasca. Do you know this? I do, yeah. Yeah, so... Do you want to, for people that don't know, do you want to explain what it is? Well, ayahuasca is a... It's a... From the Amazon rainforest, it's mm-hmm. a substance made up of a plant and a vine mixed together, boiled down in water. Um, one of them contains DMT, yeah. which you can ingest in many forms. Um, and have a, a what you call a trip for a short amount of time, mm-hmm. but in this instance, the the other subs, the other either the plant or the vine, I, I struggle to remember which. The other one contains something that inhibits your body's ingestion of DMT. So instead of taking it for a small amount of time and having a fifteen-minute trip, you can ingest DMT and it'll stay in your body and you will feel the effects of it for four six eight twelve hours party time uh party time's <laughs> not the word because you induced vomit vomiting yeah. um you can shit yourself beautiful um been f- I w- well nothing more profound than that the first night i took it was hell the uh second night that i took it was heaven like it was the really f- the first night was truly awful it was the worst fucking night of my right, life can right. you would you mind what was so awful about well, it um, and what was so? How did you go from it being awful to it being beautiful? Well, it's, the second night. Okay, well, this is it'll be a long-winded explanation if please, you're prepared please, to listen. Please, okay. Please. I'm, I'm fascinated. Well, I was there with my girlfriend at the time. She had introduced me to this uh, substance. She'd taken it before, um, and it was for, I could say, for mental health reasons. I have a lot of problems with rage, um, and it's been responsible for the destruction of my marriage. Okay. Um, and apart. Have a, finding a new relationship, I, I desperately wanted to not go down the same path. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to make the so same mistake. So I was introduced yeah. to the substance um, as a means of 
overcoming trauma and understanding that traumas are generally the root of our own ill behaviours. 100%. Yeah. Um, so. It's like if you if someone's being a prick just on the street, then there's going to be 99% of the time there's going to be something going on there's in that something person's there. life. That person's reacting to something. Yeah. We're always anyway, reacting sorry, to something. No, it's cool, man. But yeah, no, you're right. We're always reacting to something and it's... Uh, it's not fully conscious. We we act to small things that, um, so say something you do, that's a tiny minute aspect of it may remind me of something awful that happened to me, and a minute aspect of that thing may be mirrored in the thing that you've done. So instead of reflect reacting to the thing that you've just done, I'm reacting to the thing that happened to me years ago that mm. this thing mirrors an aspect of. I think this is how trauma manifests itself, and this is, uh, well, in 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 rage, yeah. this is the that, manifests that's itself not, in rage. That's not so widespread knowledge but it should be oh because if, if, imagine some... if people actually knew that information well it's definitely true for me um it, it's i think it's true in I've general found of myself so i needed to overcome this i still need to, I, i'm not suggesting that i have or that i'm i'm a i'm a cured person I think, you know we all constantly need to work but so i was um you, you drink the substance i was there under the guidance of uh, not not shaman which you would find in traditional amazonian settings mm-hmm. but Westernized, uh, what, just a dude? what would be known Steve. in the academic literature I suppose, as white shaman, a guy called Shay, and a woman called Izzy, her name was. Um, she had a uh, makeup on her face, uh, uh, the fal- the wings of a falcon on the side of each eye. Anyway, so we, uh, you, I'm already running for the hills. By the way, you like this is terrifying to me. So. I went to this place with my, my girlfriend at the time. We en- we're going to this room. It's for a, a two-day retreat. We're doing it over two nights. Yeah. So the first night, we enter this room. Were you, were you in England or were you... Uh, in Austria. It's illegal in England. Austria, okay. So we went to Austria to do it. Cool. Where it's not illegal, Semi-legal. but not... Proud of Well, I mean, it's it's a, an unknown substance in a lot of ways. So it's it's legal until it's made illegal, if you I understand, see. right? Okay. But there are precedents in the UK that say, no, you can't do that. So in Austria, we, we sit in a circle and smoke some tobacco with all the people that are there. There are 17 people in this room that have come to do it together. And mattresses on the floor. Um, and everyone's got a bucket to be sick in. Pie and a, a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> and you drink the substance one at a time. Uh, all the lights are off. There's a few candles. Um, people guiding the ceremony are sat watching us there's ambient music playing from a laptop and i drank the substance uh drank the ayahuasca and sat down vomited drank a little bit more later vomited and as it sort of took effect um sorry i'm having a bit of a <laughs> bit of a traumatic relapse talking cool. about it. I, no, I do cool. definitely want to talk about it but if i um the audio may sort of have my voice shaking a bit, so I do want to talk about it. It's cool, yeah. Um, no, I appreciate the realness. That's for real. But I, I, I've got attachment issues. I, I um, Rejection is a big thing sure. that comes up. But one of the whole points of this ceremony was it's about, this, it's about your own experience, your own self. So if I was there with my partner at the time, we didn't talk. And I've got jealousy issues about the fact that she knows the guy that's convening the thing. And they've met before, and I don't know so under what that, the circle. How, like, so I'm watching this whole yeah. thing, and uh, I'm just deta- feel really detached from her the whole time, and I'm left alone with my own thoughts. So as well as having like sort of mild auditory, um, auditory and visual effects, like you would get <laughs> on any other sort of hallucinogenic, 
I just sort of felt every negative feeling that I'd ever felt at the same time, all amplified. Jesus. And I start, um, when I closed my eyes, I sort of had visual uh, stills of, of things that I knew from my childhood. And they brought <coughs> memories back with them. And I could, it's like I could see a window and then I could remember all the things that happened inside the room that was behind this window. I couldn't see these things, just see a window. Was it, was it like, um, was it like a clear image or was it something like... <coughs> this image uh, of a like window a, was... Like a horror movie or something, like a really no. good horror movie where no, it's like... just it's, talking it's... about, you know, you close your eyes, you see something, you know. Suggestive. But then I had, it's just all these memories that come back, sort of, um, this is why I believe it's good for trauma. So uh, I don't want to get into the exact details, but I remembered an instance of child abuse that had happened to me. Yeah. And I don't want to condemn the person that I remembered it doing or anything like that. Um, and it doesn't particularly hurt me right now. And by calling it child abuse, I don't want to make out that it was a horrific, I understand that it was an accidental thing. But oh, sorry, all these things came in the same moment. So... As well, I'd never remembered this thing because obviously it was traumatic to be hurt as a child by somebody you love. Mm -hmm. um, but, so I buried it. But in the instance of remembering that it happened 30 years ago, um, I also was able to comprehend it from angles that I would never have been able to understand it from had I not been under the influence of this substance. And I've since found that the science behind this maybe i'm not i'm not a chemist or a biologist or any of these things but i've my rough research leads me to <laughs> suggest <laughs> to believe that um when you're under the influence of entheogens the partnerships between parts of your brain that normally work in synchronicity are broken down so part piece if you're to do a scan of your brain according to the <laughs> documentary i've watched but cannot name sure um with reputable scientists that I can also not name, <laughs> but I assure you, was they're real. They're, they're real. They're real people. I didn't. I didn't see it when I was on ayahuasca. I watched it at home. Um, the parts of your brain are synchronized. You're usually. Yeah. And they would light up at the same time under a, a scan. Um, yeah, that's like if it's ultraviolet. Under the influence of uh, these substances, uh, entheogenic, hallucinogenic substances, these partnerships break down, but other parts of your brain other partnerships are formed so parts of your brain that don't normally communicate with each other then begin to synchronize um and i, I think this this was an experiment done on lsd so i can't be sure that this is also happening with a person on ayahuasca but it makes perfect sense to me that this is what was happening to me okay. that the part of your brain responsible for memory is synchronized to the part of your brain responsible for creative thinking and problem solving so right it's possible that you can revisit i mean this is my, my i i speculate from that your experience yeah. that it's possible to revisit um traumatic experiences but to view them from completely different angles and i believe that's what happened to me in this instance that i could not only suddenly remember something that i had no memory of at all until this moment but that i could understand fully the surrounding circumstances and how it had affected me growing up and how it had been embedded into my personality. Okay. This is something that would take years of therapy to understand yeah. a small aspect of a person's being like that. Yeah. But I understood that about myself in hours by taking the substance. 
like I say, I'm not saying that I'm cured or that I don't still have horrible rage sometimes that yeah. I wish I didn't. And I still don't say and do nasty things sometimes. But I'm able to now observe from this that you're reacting to something. You're not reacting to this person. I don't have to go off at, you know, we have anger and we go off at a person. And now I understand that I can say, I can see in myself and I can say you're reacting to something that's not present at the moment. Yeah, like, I feel like with um, with them, heavy. There's, there's, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, but it's it's real, isn't it? Like, there's there's instances where you you internalize things and you don't. Uh, that's why I believe creative expression is so important for for getting those things out of you. That poison, uh, not even necessarily poison, but those those feelings and those emotions and those thoughts and. You know, you can go round and round and round in circles with an idea or a concept or even a view or an opinion that you hold of yourself. And that can be um, based on your your upbringing or your or your um, or your experiences from childhood or adolescence. And you can carry those feelings with you uh, throughout your life, even though you're not. Uh, the little boy that that experience happened to now you've grown past that and you've you've gone on to lead a life and you've experienced these things you still hold that that feeling because it wasn't adequately addressed yeah, at the time exactly. you don't exactly grow past it you grow with it don't you and it's in you so yeah, you need and, to uh, something that unless you recognize has been embedded in you you can't is, hold you it. have to recognize it you have to recognize it and you have to confront the things that you might not necessarily want to confront and deal with because if you don't deal with those things then they'll mutate they'll mutate and they'll become something uh bigger and badder yeah, and, and, and then all of a sudden all of a sudden yeah. it becomes something monstrous and it becomes something that you don't want it to be that's why i believe people go out and kill people that's why i believe that dude uh i don't want to say his name because he's a scumbag and he should rot in jail uh, the dude that um killed george floyd like imagine you know like how how many experiences must he have had throughout his life that made him want to have that power trip that power trip of being on somebody's throat squeezing the life out of them and taking their life away mm -hmm. but having just the disconnect and the um and the sort of sociopathness which is not a, a real word but oh well yeah like just the the disconnect and the inability to recognize uh your own humanity well, your yeah. own humanity and then by proxy the humanity of other people well you know? it's a problem like the problem's white supremacy in it the problem here's the issue right that we we've it's it's a little I'm, bit uncomfortable yeah, for us you, to talk about it because no listen man there were two white people sitting in a yeah, room so it's a bit yeah, uncomfortable yeah. for us to talk about it but, but we have issue, to talk about it, it has to what be addressed. the issue do. is yeah. white supremacy what was truly shocking to me about watching that video was obviously it's fucking awful watching somebody be killed and it's obvious that the guy's dying and he's mm -hmm. fucking being he's, he's being told that he's, he, that he's yeah. being killed he's saying yeah. it he's yeah. fucking telling them that he's dying people around him are telling but this is what's so shocking that not that the guy killed not that the fucking copper killed a black guy because mm -hmm. we know that coppers do that yeah and for some fucking awful reason it's not shocking because we know that they do it but it's that he did it and he thought 
that nothing would happen to him. He's being yeah. filmed with a crowd of people yeah. around him with total impunity, this idea of total impunity, because of the idea that some races are worth less than others. Mm. And that's a structural, mm. structural idea because what's been reinforced again and again with their lived experience and through art and culture yeah. and entertainment is this idea that black people are inferior and that there's a racial hierarchy yeah. and the right at the top of that is and white people. And he operates within a, syst a police system that reinforces and uh, it's like an echo chamber. It, it, like That idea gets propagated and you know that becomes the mindset that that man unfortunately has and it's you know it's cost hundreds of lives previously and well this brings us back to what we were talking about know. earlier about art and how it, how creativity can be used to sort of overcome these things yeah so i am um, <clears throat> yeah i think that what's uh, important for artists to be doing is to be addressing these issues and for white people to recognize white supremacy uh, that it exists yeah. and actually in some ways we benefit from it even if we consider ourselves to be not priv not not privileged not but but in poverty in a lot of circumstances uh -huh. we still benefit from the fact that that nothing happens to us because of our race you know but things yeah. happen bad shit happens to us but but it's not because of because of the way we were born it, yeah so so you, artists, you, you or me would would never be in the position that george floyd was in and we've, we've got to accept that and we've got to uh sort of own up to that is that we would never be in the position that that man was in of course if we not, were in trouble with the police no. like never you know, and and people also try and detach this it's because it happened in the United States it's not a problem that British people need to address as well we can try and detach ourselves from it thusly but, yeah. but also we're, we're very very fucking aware that Britain has a racist police system mm -hmm. <clears throat> that it took what, 20 years for the, the murderers of Stephen Lawrence to, yeah. be, to be held to account and then only two of them mm -hmm. um, and, and not only that but the family were actually spied on by the police yeah the, yeah. the families of the victims so rather than actually survey the fucking people that they know committed these atrocities yeah they fucking spy on the family of the person that's it's dead horrific, the grieving relatives. I mean, we've got a his there's a history of this in britain and though that we need to address yeah. as well so what do we do as white people like what can we do as artists we, we can maybe use our creativity to at least address the issue. Mm -hmm. And if people are going to watch us in some small amount, as as artists, we want people to do, and we promote ourselves so people will look at us. <laughs> when, when people are looking at us, we yeah. can at least take a small amount of time to address these things and put ourselves in the uncomfortable and if you, situation. And if you do that, then you, you go beyond narcissism. You go beyond the, just the, the need to be sort of appreciated for your work or uh, for your contribution to... I don't know, like the music industry or the art world or, or whatever, but you know, it goes back to that Nelson Mandela quote that I love, which is like, no, no child is is born with hate. No, no child is born with hate. Like you don't have those feelings of animosity towards other people unless you're taught. Um, so like, cause considering you've you've bed your soul, right? I'm the bed mine a little bit, right? So my brother, my brother, uh, he's 23. Uh, I'm 19, so he's 23. Uh, has severe autism, right? Uh, he's severely autistic, and that's uh got a lot of uh trials and tribulations of itself. But we had an experience uh years ago. I must have been about. 13, 14, um, 
where we had these sort of street rats, like these sort of dickhead kids that because they could tell that he was different, because they could tell that he was not uh, stereotypically what they deemed an acceptable human to be, uh, they would like come and like abuse him like at the doorstep, like, you know, and, and shout things through the window and like try and, and uh, he would go out to talk to him and sort of try and interact with him because he'd like presumably wanted to understand what they were about and they would just take the piss and then um, that obviously got more and more heated because we were trying to get them to piss off and leave us alone and then the sort of parents got involved and it was just this atmosphere of ignorance this atmosphere of ignorance um, believing that you're better than someone just because you don't understand them right and because of that, because of that ignorance, because of that uh, sense of superiority, because of that sense of just, just not even wanting, not not even wanting to understand, not even wanting to understand, because you don't. So associate. when you say like you came in with their parents, well, what were their parents' position on this? When it was raised with their parents, the they've been abusing. So- the same thing. Yeah, the, uh, they thought he was antagonising them. So yeah, this is the issue, isn't it? Because the kids had obviously twisted it, and this that got violent. That that situation got violent. We had the police around and everything. Well, that's that. fucking horrible, man. But it illustrates perfectly what we've been talking about, doesn't it? That yeah, actually things are reinforced like you're not you don't you're not born with this dislike that those attitudes obviously came yeah. from their parents didn't they but if, if that if that if those people or if that woman that uh, we sort of had that altercation with would have had that same ayahuasca experience that you had or something similar then it might have, it might have exposed certain things within her character and her memory or she would have fucking had a horrible trip but she would have been her why she hated she would have been she would have been a better person why do we hate like we do if we can learn learn why we hate people like we do because you know we're all guilty of it aren't we at some point of feeling this hatred like if we can learn where it comes from yeah but where's where's it i think this is just my opinion my thinking of it all um evils in the world racism um, misogyny, homophobia, uh, sort of um, classism, whatever, whatever you want, comes from pain. It comes from pain, and it comes from fear. Pain yeah. and fear; those two aspects, those two negative aspects, which is a natural part of being a human being. Man, you're not gonna go through life and experience, you know, a pain-free existence. It goes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like the well, the, the Buddha about, story, right? I let mean, me tell you more about this uh, ayahuasca. Uh, please so, do. these please these do. couple of days, man, because it it definitely didn't end there, you know. Yeah. Right? But the, it it changed me almost instantly in that after having this experience and then. Um, on the same evening sort of when I thought that I was out of the effects of this thing I uh, went outside to smoke and then found myself uh, in a conversation with my dad who's dead mm-hmm. um, it's really sort of hard to describe because was it like the end of Star Wars where no like, okay. <laughs> that's just what I always <laughs> have to say it's not like I saw him or like I don't know how to explain it man because I, I had a very I know very very clear things, th- clear exchange things with like him that. But, but but after this happened I um the next day after I'd completely sobered up I sobered if that's the right word um 
you go to this thing called an in the integration so you, we had the ayahuasca ceremony the night before and then in the daytime integration so it's how are you going to i love how you put a lot of eyebrows into yeah, that like eyebrows <laughs> integration. integration so but i mean it's not uh, to me it sounded like it sounded like some psychiatry buzzword you know when it but yeah. but it's a very serious point like how are you now going to integrate the experience you've just had yeah. into your life it's not isn't you're not there to trip it's not meant to be fun we're meant to be learning you know so mm -hmm. what, how are you going to incorporate this into your life obviously they're coming from a spiritual perspective right the, the, this is um most of the people that sort of endorse this substance i find they're, they're coming from because of the, the um ancient uh, amazonian sort of connotations of it the people are assuming that if you take the substance you also must take part in um some form of tribal ritual that's been approximated by the group you're with oh, there was this uh, the thing i went to which made me a little bit uncomfortable but i tried to embrace it as much as i could so like i said at the beginning you sat around in a circle smoking tobacco together and they told us that we had to blow it over each shoulder and then into our lap in this particular ritualistic way and and I didn't do it. And then I felt like a twat for not doing it. Like, I'm like, I'm not doing that because like, I'm not doing what someone tells me to do, just a fucking empty ritual. And then I didn't do it. And then I was like, oh, well, I wish I'd have done it. You know? And sort of <laughs> yeah. engaged a bit more. Yeah. But sorry, the point being, the second day we go to uh, integration and the dude goes, uh, right, I want you to write a letter to yourself or to a member of your family. Like write a letter to yourself as a child or to a member of your family. And uh, being as I had an exchange with my dad, like uh, this imaginary whatever exchange with my dad like I, I wrote a letter to him um he'd been dead like 10 years so um and i wrote a lot like um i, I write anyway so it's not yeah it's not unusual that i would write a lot mm. but then afterwards they asked everyone if they wanted to read their letters out in a circle and, and i was like no definitely not and just like sort of arrogantly no and they didn't like try and pressure me or anything and I, which again i was a bit disappointed by like oh, why didn't you like <laughs> Did you want to why be? didn't you prime me for information you know but that's when i noticed this sort of weird change in myself that i sort of wanted to talk to people i wanted people to know these things about me or this thing that i wanted people to know what i was feeling why do you think that was because of the the what i'd learned about trauma last night and i suppose i wanted it may be some sort of signaling but i suppose i just wanted everybody around to know that i felt some change in myself um so I will have to not talk in this up anyway sorry but going around in this circle um everyone almost everyone well everybody else read out their letters yeah and again I felt like a twat like why didn't I partake in this everyone's like embracing something that I'm not um and one particular one I'll never forget this like a girl that um she um she read a, a letter she'd read out to um that she'd written to somebody that um it was very jolly and happy. She was like talking about all these nice times she'd spent with someone. But then it became apparent that this person was dead. And that um that she'd died as a as a as an infant and that it was this young woman's sister. Um she died quite a long time ago. And the young woman was only probably twenty years old, so she must have lost her sister when she was really young. And uh, it's not so much the uh, like a sense of empathy or or grief for that person that that really washed over me. Like it's washing over me now, to be honest. Like, 
but there's an idea that like I knew full well like that if that had have been my sister that had died yeah. that I would only remember it as an awful thing that had happened to me I would have remembered it with aggression and hatred you know like I would have used it to attack people like you got hurt like I hurt but she didn't at all nothing like she just was happy like that she was able to have um, to have shared any time at all with her yeah just yeah man that's what can I say just beautiful that's beautiful man and then so after that they go was, to like was that was that why it was that man that was so beautiful it was that fucking was like, hard man that was like like I say like I I remember, I remember that girl for the rest of my life, man. And not the girl that's just talking either. The girl that was lost, you know, like always. I feel like she's in me now. And so after this, right, it gets. Uh, excuse me. So then, everyone reads their stuff. And it's more of the same. Apart from, I do remember there was this one dude, man, a one jolly old man. And he was like, he was speaking broken English, very broken. And at that point I remembered, I realized that everyone in the group was a native German speaker apart from me and my girlfriend. Right. So not only had everyone been sharing everything about themselves with the group, but they'd been translating it to English just for me, man. Just for me and, <laughs> and my girlfriend, like, so. But then when, like, they closed the group and then I'm like, no, I want to read my letter and sort of interjected. And I found myself doing that and then just, like, weeped openly in front of all these strangers, man. Like, really sort of pathetic, horrible sounds and snotty all covered in, like... And and that sort of, yeah, I, I think that was a significant moment in my life that I was able to do that and, and share these pains with people that... Although, like, strangers, I probably couldn't do it in a uh, room with people I knew so comfortably... But you know, I find myself doing it with you now, which is weird, isn't it? Um, to a microphone, which I I assume other people are going to listen to at some point. Um, the second ceremony was entirely different, man. Entirely different. Like, I seem to have got all this shit out of myself. You know, I had this like. You had like. A yeah. Purification. And I'd been at this point also, sort of trying to keep a, a distance from, the um, cultural and uh, lifestyle connotations attached with the the so-called drug you know i wouldn't call it a drug now yeah. everyone there was calling it a medicine which got my my neck hairs up and like don't call it medicine do you know what i mean what what we're we supposed to call it i don't know just not that um but now i call i would call it that medicine now fully yeah. after that experience it's quite apparent to me that that was medicine for for my soul for my for my mental health but talking about soul this is where we're getting now right so the the second day was entirely different I, I drank more like obviously I was a, it was my first time and the people decided on the first day to give me a smaller amount so on the second day they gave me a larger amount sure and I drank again another about an hour later when it started to properly kick in and um after a, a few experiences um like in the room seeing some cool stuff and having some pleasant experiences the room then started to sort of fragment everything in the room sort of became like well fragments probably not the word um it's almost as if everything was made of a you could see the lines around everything everything was just made of lines there was no body in anything but i could still tell that i was in a room i could still tell that like you know that that's a person that's a chair uh -huh. although this it's just line really and it's all filled by some sort of weird fuzz 
And then is it that same? Do you know like when there's going to be like a, a storm or something, and you'll get that weird sort of fuzz in the air or something? No, more, I mean? like, more it, like white what? noise on a white TV, noise, yeah, like yeah. sort of fuzz on a TV, static. electrical static or whatever you call yeah. it. Yeah, um, sort of filling everything, but and then just just like lines that told you where everyone was and I could see that everyone and everything like had its own shape and but no sort of real form or, or body it's like there was no matter in it it was all just sort of made up of of a buzz a buzz like sure, that's yeah. a sort of a energy they would say wouldn't they the hippies like the fucking <laughs> they hippies would, yeah. that, that I would like always call it, like all fucking hippies I hate them. Energy. energy energy <laughs> energy so but that's all like, I mean after doing, having these sorts of experiences the things that I rejected like phrases and words like that I can only sort of say that's accurate like the word medicine is did accurate you have to, the word energy is accurate did you have to humble yourself did you have yeah, to yeah man. yeah man sort of lay yourself well obviously I fucking I'd done at this point I'd, yeah. I'd sort of made myself like weak and naked in front of all these strangers man, and I felt very sort of vulnerable but also there's after, a power sorry go on. after watching all of them sort of express their vulnerability first I, yeah. I, um, I felt very safe and comfortable to be vulnerable so obviously it's about set, self and setting I'm not saying that ayahuasca will cure everything and everyone should take it you've got to be you've got to be with the right people and you've got to be in the right no, but mental I, preparation yeah. to do it and you've got to have the right guidance creative expression is the same thing right it's yeah. the same it's laying, it's laying yourself bare it's expressing uh sometimes the the deepest recesses of of emotion and that could be positive that could be negative that could be somewhere in the middle there's there's an absence of vulnerability there's an especially in men especially in men yeah I mean, definitely there's this thing about an, masculinity yeah. i write a lot about masculinity and my lyrics my poetry like um well can we talk a, a little approach. bit about about that because i'm really yeah, interested man, definitely. In that, is obviously like i'm I'm interested in being the best version of myself that I can be the most effective, the most um, the most sort of caring, the most loving, the most intelligent, the most powerful embodied version of myself that I can be. Um, I never had those um, those masculine role models really. It was only um, like my dad was sort of uh, very wimpy and ineffective and, and sort of he would uh, put all his insecurities and all his um, all his rage onto onto me, right? Yeah, <laughs> and my mom, um, you know, and that's a whole bother story. But you know, um, and then sort of my mom's uh, ex boyfriends and and so it was the sort of male archetype of being sort of wimpy, cowardly. Uh, ineffective saying that you're going to do something but not following through with it and then the opposite end of that hyper violent hyper like criminal um, you know people like throwing bricks through windows and like smashing people up stabbing people going to jail like these are the people that I grew up around you know so it was only when I met Errol uh, that I was talking was that before we start recording I don't know I told you a bit about Errol no I don't know you I think you recorded oh, a different the, that was, uh, what was his name again sorry Chris he was here Chris earlier. yeah yes. Chris is uh, he was here he's part of uh, part of Jay's band um, shout out to DSB yeah yeah um, talk about them some more soon yeah Errol when I dropped out of college I met this U4 car called Errol and and he was um, the first 
masculine figure in my life that was actually I couldn't I was like writing little songs and, and shit trying to express myself and and he was the first person to actively intently listen to what I was doing and actively intently sit down and pay me the attention that I needed and stop everything that he was doing and pay me uh, that treat me with that respect you know treat me with that respect to go alright this kid's express this kid's like trying to say something you know here and I couldn't at the time like I had just come off of having of having a nervous breakdown like I lost my mind man I was out of it completely like I couldn't look people in the eye I was I had so little self confidence and just by listening to me just by listening to me I could, I could like, my hands were shaking I remember vividly now playing him this song with my guitar in this room in the youth center and my hands were shaking I was I couldn't I could barely sing <laughs> it, was, it was embarrassing really and but he listened he stood there and he listened like a fucking sage or something <laughs> like, I'm saying, man, yeah, to have a voice is a powerful thing to be listened mm-hmm, to his mm-hmm. his is very validating isn't it so it yeah. makes you feel like you're not alone mm. so this is what I sort of it goes back to what I was saying about structures around you affecting yeah. your not your right to make art but maybe your your ability and opportunity that, and the that encouragement is what... to make art so that dude mm-hmm. made you in your in your own sort of understanding that dude like encourage you to go and make art so, 100% 100% many people don't have a figure like that in their lives man. but it's just when you're talking about masculinity like that just the ability to be present the ability to be there in the moment and just be and experience the moment for what it is you don't have to be anywhere else rather than where you are right now and being comfortable with that being comfortable not being in your own head not being carried away by ego or or uh, narcissism or self-involvement or or whatever it is that's what that's the kind of man that I want to be you know present uh, caring loving compassionate encouraging you know and I feel like if if certain people uh, especially people in power politicians had that perspective had that um that empathy and that encouragement for their fellow human being then the world would be a lot better of a place you know yeah it is. so here's an interesting thing man based on that that's that a lot of men that i know have the same thoughts and feelings but cultural depictions of manhood would tell us otherwise wouldn't they yeah. So again, bringing us back to what what do we do as artists to try and change this sort of thing? We have um, to. This is why Nirvana was so important to me because yeah. Kurt Cobain was probably the first. Actually, it was like it's anti-misogynist stance. I've been outspokenly anti-misogynist, which really spoke to me yeah. because I was raised by women, and I had um, sisters. And I, I couldn't really get on board with the sexism of, of heavy rock when I first, although I really liked the music, yeah. I couldn't get on board with this talking about banging all the time, you know. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm the same. So yeah. when, when Nirvana spoke to me, it really spoke to me, man. And it made me realise that actually maybe I could use art to sort of do these things as well. And and then I sort of found in later life I was writing almost exclusively about sort of social and political issues. Um, but then... I've sort of taken a conscience, a con- conscious uh, decision to sort of now try and sort of personalise it in the sense that I don't, I don't, I'm, 
you, you can get preachy, can't you? I don't mm-hmm. want to be pre. I don't want to be mm-hmm. a preacher, man. But what I want to do is try and express my culture and what it means to be, um, what it means to me to be a white working class heterosexual male, right? All these words that um, other people that claim to be the defenders of those groups have turned into horrible things. I'm not yeah. I'm not accusing outsiders like 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 exactly like the, the people I'm accusing would do of saying that other people are accusing men of being horrible. People aren't accusing men of being horrible. What's happened is that a group of men have decided that a group of horrible men have decided that they represent manhood and Unfortunately, I think that um, mainstream it's, culture and mainstream society and capitalism yeah. at large has a vested interest in all of these divisions, like the racial, the gender, the um, sexuality divisions that that they try and sort of heighten. Yeah. By giving us only examples of archetypes and stereotypes, so you can be a man on telly if if you do this, if this, and this. You can be a woman if you do like this, this, and this. So we. Although most people we know personally, we have many conversations with many people that believe and feel as we do, we struggle to find popular cultural representations of these points. So that's our job as artists, isn't it? Even if we can only do it in some small way because we don't have the means of production and we don't have the means um, of communication. We don't own those means. We only have social media, which again is still really a capitalist owned. It's not not socially owned. It's it's not... Yeah, it's not a democratic and open platform yeah. not, not nothing ever is it's owned by someone and they feed you things everyone choose your think what you're seeing is chosen by somebody at multiple stages isn't it but what we can try and do is at least give a small the small group of people that may be watching us if we're lucky enough as artists for people to be watching us uh-huh. we can give those small groups of people a real representation of what we think it means to be of the culture that we think we are. So in my instance, I want to give real true representations of what I think it means to be white, working class, masculine, mm-hmm. or uh, and, and heterosexual, if, yeah. if I, I'm not that thing about these things exclusively. But, yeah. but I want people to understand that to be these things doesn't mean that you have to be hateful, or although... <laughs> You can be aggressive and and traditionally masculine mm. at the same time as basically not being a cunt. If you've got if you've got a kid, yeah, and they they can be um, male or female, it doesn't matter, um, trans, whatever. If you've got a baby, just that's that's just brought into the world with the infinite capacity to be whatever the hell they want, right? If you've got a kid, then they've got the potential to be anything, right? It's sort of a bit magic in that way, right? If you've got a kid, then they're, then they're capable of being any... How are you going to put someone, a human being with those infinite possibilities, into a fucking box? How are you going to do that? How no, are you, well, how, that's how, the thing, isn't it? No one wants to do it to the ones that they love, but everyone wants to do it to people that they don't remind it's them of a themselves. Means, it, I feel that anyway, it's a means for... Control. It's a means for people to keep you down and uh, and force you to be a certain way, and then all of a sudden you wonder why male suicide rates are so high. I think we're, we're, we're always looking anyway. for someone to blame for 
Ferrarials, you know, when they're the actual, and we're looking for easy answers as well. So this is why it's easy to direct hate at a particular group of people because yeah. we're, because I mean, this is encouraged by my media and by high politics as well, that we're told to hate a group of people. So fucking politicians can make all the statements they want about fucking Black Lives Matter, can't they? And about that they're, 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 they want equality, but they've done fuck all for it. Like I say, yeah. Britain's as racist as America. We're fucking, yeah. we're deporting British citizens to Caribbean islands because we're saying that those Caribbean islands aren't British, even though we said they were when we fucking wanted to steal everything yeah. from them. Um, Windrush, all that. Exactly. So, so we are we are in a racist country, and it needs addressing. So, us as artists, we we should be addressing that kind of thing, shouldn't we? Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> Outstanding. Anyway, like, what were we, what were we talking about? I don't know, man. What do you what do you want to talk about? I, I don't. I don't even know how long we've been recording for. Know, sort of got swept away in it. But. Long ass podcast. Uh, let's talk about ayahuasca some more, man. About my second experience, because this is something. Please think, do. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the second day when I went into this sort of everything sort of disappeared, and I forgot my name. You know, like I've been reminding myself of my name for for like the last day in the last experience trying to sort of I'd been saying my name to say you, you are sane you know who you are you know like don't be scared you know even though I was terrified but the second day I'm trying to like remind myself of my name as, as, as everything's fragmenting and the world around me is disappearing and then I sort of lost I couldn't tell that I was in a room couldn't tell what was up or down and I couldn't remember my name and, how, how did you feel in that moment? Terrified Terrified man. yeah Like, well, well I don't know ter- probably comprehending terror was like probably beyond the pale for me at this point. Is like, that what you would call uh, ego death? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, not at this point. Like, but but very soon afterwards, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. You just lost all sense of yourself. No sense of anything ever having existed, like um, anything at all. That there was no such thing as anything except consciousness. So, being completely aware, like con- being conscious, being aware of existence, but. Uh, sort of not being floating in space but being space right. and it's as if my existence was all existence so by that I I take that all existence at the base level of consciousness mm. is all connected and that what r- really exists beyond death and beyond physicality is just consciousness and it's purest form of existence that is the purest form of existence the essence of the universe being consciousness and this is what brings me back to Aldous Huxley which I read as a child and then for somehow somehow dismissed um, as an adult um, because you're encouraged to think of these things as childish I suppose and as um, recreational and hedonistic that um, that actually he, he was right that that consciousness um I don't know if this was even in older sucks there. You're tripping me out, man. The consciousness <laughs> yeah. isn't, isn't something that's created by your brain. No. Right, I'm not saying this as a scientific fact, so any haters want to, like, just Disclaimer. cut me off and, like, whatever. <laughs> this is something, obviously, it's not scientifically proven one way or the other, nor can it be. Yeah. But but my firm belief from this experience is, is that consciousness is not something that's created by the brain. It's something that's transmitted to the brain or to the person consciousness is given given self by your body by mm-hmm. your experiences mm-hmm. as a being in the physical existence that you live out and then after death you will go back to experiencing nothing but everything at the same time yeah i feel like consciousness is uh is like a river and your life is a stream you know and 
you you eventually join back to 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 what it is you know and event you know you can yeah, that's a good way of putting it you can experience similar thing you can experience through meditation or just I've had experiences where I've lost my mind and I've had the sense of connecting to something uh, far, far, far bigger than me. And it's the, exactly the sort of experience that that is that Buddhist monks describe, but that I, for some reason, could never experience. The idea of yeah, like you say, it, well, the, in in the modern terms, we call it ego death, but yeah. um, serenity, a, nirvana, I believe, is the state. Was that it? I don't know. I believe that's what Buddhists call it, isn't it? Is uh, that, am I, I mixing so, terminology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I might be confusing terminologies. But this state of um, a serenity that exists from, um, like, uh, not a lack of awareness, but by separating from yourself, but a, a complete awareness of all things at all times, at the same time, right now, never, everywhere, nowhere. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like being like God, but God doesn't exist because. <laughs> So so what what yeah, I, what the, the what sort of um significant for me because I would always say I was an atheist right up until this point up until that point up until that point so this, you changed your mind this point now yeah but because now I understand a different conception of God God in the sense that we've been taught God in schools as children to like this Christian God like a dude in the clouds that goes shabam and then there's like yeah. animals and shabam and then there's the sea and whatever and yeah like, and you're talking about Alice Huxley uh, being childish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just the concept of all right, God, all all omnipotent uh, consciousness, right? All everything. Uh, I have no explanation as to how you get. And you just boil it down to all right. He wears white robes. He sits exactly, in the exactly. That's my. That's where you take it. So because then we're taught like. There's a disbelief that you obviously as you grow up you can't believe that. And I always wonder then, well, how can people be religious? Yeah, this is crazy. This is crazy. Just from day but then one. I've realised that other people's inception of God is not that, is it? That's a, that is a childish you know, inception of God. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Like that God's not a, like a person. It's a it's a force. This, the stereotypical idea of what I was taught of of heaven to be, right? Is you know you you go to some mad what pearly gates white everything white exactly like it's a ridiculous stasi like torture block still, or something like, <laughs> like god like made yeah. metal gates like where did the metal come what the fuck man does not make any sense at all that's yeah. what i'm saying it's ludicrous but the the story is right you go you go to heaven right you're reunited with your family everyone that you've ever loved or or you've, I don't know about you, man, but I fucking hate some of my family and they're dead. You know, yeah. <laughs> that would be fun for about five minutes and then you would get on each other's tits. It's a very, very problematic uh, sort of idea. What, what age do these people appear? Like, what are they, the age that you want them to be? Do they get to choose well, themselves? The like, age that they were when they died. Do, do you all see them a different age? Like, what if are someone dies mistake? in an accident? Do they... Or if someone, like my, gran my grandma, like, uh, had dementia. And, like, yeah, she was she a, have dementia? She was, a, she was in a very bad position when she, like, she, she is she still suffering like that forever? It's well, not I good. Mean, Cheers, yeah, God. It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> does it? Like, I mean, obviously, the idea is that heaven's free of suffering, but like this, this sort of Christian heaven. But, but what I understand now is that it's all derived. I, I believe it to be derived from the spark of an idea that talks of a return to consciousness. 
that you, you obviously everything else is dogma and when you build like um institutions and yeah. structures and and um rule books around something it just becomes dogma what really but there's a truth there's a divine spark at the center of what are now world religions but of course they started with some divine truth that somebody uh, fully yeah. believed in what they were saying they might have been corrupted like christianity might be uh, a roman like um empire thing mm. it might be a, be a means of controlling but christianity is modern inception and i now understand that christianity i believe before the romans to have been an idea of a return to consciousness yeah. and the state of heaven mm-hmm. being the state the Buddhists would call Nirvana if it is Buddhist. <laughs> I'm yeah. not confused. I think it is. Yeah, this is the idea of uh, of the Uberos, right? It's the serpent eating its own tail. It just goes round and round and round and round for all eternity. And that's what it is, you know. And you can equate that to reincarnation. You can equate that to um, you're born and then you go back to the same place when you die, like before you were born or whatever. It's the same thing. It's the sa- I really do feel like it's the same thing. Right, and we're all a conduit for this. This uh, I don't know if you want to describe it as a force, and and everything you can tap into that through creativity. You can tap into that through psychedelics or through uh, sex or love or relation. You know, things that take you out of your physical body and then uh, expand it to something that that is beyond you. Yeah, man. You know? that's, that's... If you're if you're in if you're like playing a gig or whatever, and you're uh, or if you're in a record and you're truly inspired, when you're doing it right, man, there's nothing else that exists. That's true. That's that's true. It's the it's, same so thing. it's meditative in it's that sense. Thing. Yeah, I appreciate. I, I I used to paint quite a lot when I was younger. I haven't done it for a, a long time, but about a year ago, I did a painting, and I noticed when I was doing that that. It just was impossible to think, to like have any deep thought because I was so focused on that, that this tiny little detail had to look like this, that all I was focusing on was the movement so strongly on the movement of a brush and how the paint, how this affected the movement of the paint. Yeah. I was I had to focus so strongly on that for so long that it was impossible to actually have any deep, what what we would consider deep thoughts. But in, in what, to go return back to talk of consciousness, what, there's different, levels of consciousness in it so what we would call thought like problem solving thought like direct uh-huh. direct like let's get this sorted like intellectual thought it, it's just one level of consciousness isn't it but yeah. when you're it's, in this space me- line it's, in, the it's meditative, like... in the meditative state you yeah. saw you're attached to something much much um I don't know, much more grand than that. It's inexplicable. This is why I'm. 2001, isn't it? Like the the monkey bone becomes the spaceship. You know, it's the. And it's it's total stoner. It's it's inexplicable. So it turns into this stoner shit, yeah? That it turns into like. It's it's easy to to disregard because until you've had the experience yourself, it's entirely inexplicable. And I probably sound like a fucking priest or something, (laughs) man. Jesus, let Jesus run through you or something. All right, so how how do you think. just normal people listening to this can take those ideas and and incorporate them well, into ideas their of ayahuasca. Yeah, everyone that listens to this should seek a reputable and trustworthy way of ingesting ayahuasca in a safe circumstance. Uh, disclaimer: My truth does not uh, advocate the use of any kind of, uh, of substance, legal or illegal. Uh, <laughs> any substance whatsoever oxygen 
Stay away from coffee. Oh, I've got a disclaimer too. Because I've heard this works in like celebrities. Got a disclaimer so, for my disclaimer. Jay Humphreys, the character, right, endorses <laughs> ayahuasca fully. Like, yeah. definitely everyone take it. Everyone. Everyone that's listening to this should take ayahuasca. But the person that said that is a character known as Jay Humphreys. I am now speaking as Jason Wyman Humphreys which is my, my born and given name, which you'll find on my birth certificates. Jason Wyman Humphreys in no way endorses or encourages actions endorsed <laughs> by the character known as Jay Humphreys. Right, so now we can continue and I can say whatever I want. I got that shit. Works, man. That works in courts. Fucking... <laughs> what was his name? Bill O'Reilly. Like, people like that. Like, big fucking inflammatory right-wing celebrities have used that defence. So what I say on that podcast isn't it's defamation. Not true it's not inflammatory. It's not defamation because I didn't say it. It was the It was a character that did it. It was a character. Even though your whole career is built around you are just being that. Your your career is built around a personality. So how do you propose yeah. to detach a character from a personality? Well, you can call it character. You can use the like the actual word for it, which is persona, right? You put on not an act but you put on um an idea of what everyone else wants you to or about what the acceptable version of yourself is you know and again you put yourself into a box because it's uh safe because it's um because it's easy because the life of the life of an artist right is the stupidest thing to live right because you, you you're just going around chasing inspiration all the time right so most of the time you're not getting it no. do you think van gogh was having a good time i think it's universally recognized that he was not having a good time you don't cut your ear off if you're having a good yeah. time kids you don't. No, i'm man. sorry you don't you know but that brings us back to what i was saying about recognition man and someone listening to you just one person could be fucking incredibly validating i mean the guy famously didn't sell anything do you know what I mean yeah, he wasn't yeah, respected yeah. Like, exactly obviously died, yeah. like um, persistent lack of respect will send people mad and will make people do yeah. unreasonable things yeah. which brings us back again to the idea of sort of systemic oppression and and what the things that happen now people so quick to dismiss um, aggressive actions uh, and rioting which are obviously rioting is not Sort of, sort of a thing to aspire to, no. but, but it's, it's to completely turn a conversation onto rioting when horrific acts of brutality have been committed. Oh, systemically, that's a very, that's a very good point. Then we turn it onto this act of rioting. And, I never, and write I, it I, off, I never thought we? of it like that. That's a very interesting point. But actually, we all fully fucking all understand. All that's going on about in the news is the riots. Exactly. But we all fully understand, don't we, in our hearts, why people commit acts of aggression and violence. Because we all fucking do it when we're pushed. Imagine being pushed. We, we can't imagine. It's because, again, I've got to draw attention to anyone listening that both the dudes talking into the microphone here are white. And we've never experienced this sort of fucking systemic oppression that no. goes against it. And, and, and you must be constantly reminded of all the time. Not only by actual overt acts of racism, but by, again, cultural depictions that aren't showing the world yeah. as it really is. Yeah. So you're... you're I'm, it's I intrinsic. It's, it's, it's like asbestos in the on walls. Like it's it poison. I can't, I can't imagine, honestly. And I don't fucking... I, I've 
don't want to use any sort of wording that might sound like I'm trying to patronise or take ownership to anybody else's struggle. Like, I really fucking can't imagine. I have enough rage as it is being a fucking working class person. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine being so systemically yeah. fucking oppressed. I completely understand. But where's all that? Where's all that rage going? If you think about, if you think about 1980s Thatcher, skinheads. Um, you know, I'm a massive fan of like Sean Meadows and and This Is England and and all that. You know, he talks about that and talks about forgiveness. He talks about you know a lot of. Did you ever see The Virtues? No, man, I don't. Uh, know. Yeah, it's pretty, if you haven't seen that, then see that. It's fucking dark and it's really difficult, but it's incredible. Um, like, where's all that rage gone? That that feeling of you know of that atmosphere of minor strikes reaganism thatcherism um all of a sudden you know the social media age and the internet age creates this vacuum of sort of uh, or this miasma of meaninglessness or where you you all of a sudden everything is sort of swept up from under your feet and all of a sudden you've got nothing left to stand on you don't have a, a sense of uh, class identity you don't have a sense of of history of of um of you know of 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 history of you know of identity if that makes sense yeah man so i sort of sort of um yeah there's like, no, 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 what you mean more. like that obviously to to go back to what we were talking about rage and that being a negative thing in, in the sense that like, an uncontrollable fucking outburst from a person yeah. based on a, um, an emotional trigger from the past is, uh -huh. is not a good thing. But directed anger can and has always been very constructive and politically very constructive. And in relation to what we're talking about again, to turn back to what, what we'll used to be called the civil rights struggle. I don't mm. know if people still use those phrases, although we definitely should, or, or it's still yeah. an appropriate yeah. phrase, should I say. It's um, like, uh, we, um, so yeah. when we talk about these things, we talk about them with regards to American history, for one. We, we your, your knowledge of the civil rights struggle and mine is no doubt Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, yeah? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. maybe uh, Malcolm, Malcolm X, X yeah? yeah? And, and they're they're all American, yeah. Because well, and then we probably you mentioned earlier um, Nelson Mandela and yeah. quoted him. Marcus right? Garvey. Right. Okay. Uh, again, but, but we don't. But we don't talk about the civil rights struggle that happened in Britain, do we? We know about. No. I, I'm not even talking about this. I've, I've recently read about it. I can't give names and dates, but I recently read about a bus boycott that took place in London a few years before the famous Montgomery bus boycotts that were the sort of the spark of the civil rights movement so in America. It's already there. It's already so there. I'm not giving credit to one person or another. What I'm saying is that, well, for, hey, I'm, I'll make one point here, that by not discussing that civil rights struggle, we give the impression that racism in Britain was not as bad as it was in America in the southern states. Yeah. And by it's highlighting Nelson Mandela and the, the anti-apartheid struggle and the fact that both of these resulted in the downfall of segregation we can mm. say that segregation no longer exists that we overcame it but not only in britain we get the yeah. we get the double benefit of saying not only did we overcome it but they weren't even happening in britain they happened yeah. it was america and south africa but say, obviously we say, supported those yeah, regimes yeah. the whole time you say segregation is over why do you still have uh areas like compton 
in LA? Why do you still have areas in Chicago? That... That because now segregation is economic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because what we're talking about is again systemic inequalities and systemic in in inequality system, of opportunity, and obviously we're quite powerless to change, aren't they, you and I? But this is interesting. We could talk about like the phrase "white privilege." Does that offend you? Like it used to it offended me because um, um, I'm not privileged. You know, I don't say I'm privileged. I, I, just, I, I get a little bit panicked with the screen guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'm <laughs> to be, if recording. I'm being honest, if I'm being wholly honest, it doesn't offend me. I'm not offended by it, but if somebody went, ah, oh, you've like Casey, you've got white privilege. Like, on one hand, I would accept that because I feel like it's it's intrinsically probably true. I get uh, treated different, or I would uh, get treated differently. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story, right? So, um, I uh, yesterday um, get a knock on my door, open the door, it's a policeman right um i'm like he's like i'm there in my dressing gown or something i'm like you know it's like early evening or whatever i'm just chilling policeman comes to my door he knocks on the door i open it uh and he goes <laughs> he's like um there's there's been a burglary like um across the road like i'm just knocking on doors to see like uh if people know anything or heard anything right and then i was just, i was sort of just like in a bit of a piss-taking mood so i was like oh no what happened and the guy looks at me baffed he's like was well, somebody's house got broken into that's what a burglary means <laughs> and um and I, t I, I told my friend georgia who's uh who's mixed um that story and she was like oh my god casey like you're so lucky that you've got white privilege like you would have slapped me and Right. I was like, well, so obviously, obviously, you wouldn't slap you because I'd jump in and I'd protect you because I love you. Right. Well, that's, that's how the conversation went. But having, you know I mean? how did you feel when they said when she said that to you? She, he, well, sorry, which uh, I don't she, mind, yeah. it's irrelevant. But how did um, you feel when that person said to you that you've got white privilege? I felt because I had a conversation maybe two years ago with someone and they said it to me and I was like, no man, bullshit. But it was a white person. And I, I so it was a quite a comfortable conversation. Yeah, and but I, just I said like, bullshit me and as I an, dismissed it. Yeah, me, me as an individual, like I haven't had a, a an easy time of it at all, right? No, but, but it's, it's not an, because it's you're white, my, is it? my suffering and my um and my experiences are so radically different from the experiences of say an african-american a um uh south american a um uh or even a, a, a british black person you know and i feel like that would be what white privilege might mean in regards to me like my experience is so different to that <laughs> that i cannot hold a candle to what those people have experienced i try and empathize with it i try and empathize towards. with it yeah i'm trying to sort of just understand it in myself like when i dismiss this person's viewpoint that it was just a, an emotional reaction actually because i feel like i grew up poor and like it's been fucking hard man how it's can a you different tell me thing, i'm privileged though. and how can you politically expect that phrase to have yeah any like countenance with white people that feel that they're fucking getting fucked all the time mm -hmm. by austerity mm -hmm. 
Um, but but you have to sort of understand. I, this is where like where I said we're not very powerful people, are we? We can't really make systemic change. But we have to also remember at this point that systems are made up of people, and if we can continue to um, to spread the conversation at least, and to and sorry to draw it back to what I was talking about, without an understanding that there was a civil rights struggle in Britain, we don't understand that there was systemic and ingrained institutional and still is systemic and ingrained Sorry. institutional racism in Britain. So then we don't recognise that we have white privilege because we haven't been educated properly on British colonial history and, and the, the true barbarism of, of our past. We're allowed to be told to be proud of Britain, aren't we? Like, be proud of Britain, but then we're not allowed to, like, discuss the horrible shit, like yeah. castrating Kenyans or starving yeah. Indians yeah. and shit like that. Um, Sorry, to go back to what I was talking about, the, this... Um, aggression being useful again in the remembering of the civil rights struggle not only as being like um as being foreign and yeah. being not british um i think internationally it's generally remembered as being peaceful about peaceful protest yeah internationally yeah do you think like nelson mandela and the anti-apartheid movement are generally remembered as being peaceful and we remember martin luther king generally yeah but he did uh in his early years he did no uh, i know this and you know this were. but i'm talking about the mainstream memorialization of what we get when we get depictions yeah. no, of nelson the, the image of the the nelson mandela movement. is peace and love it's the same sort of counter counterculture peace and love ideas that we we're talking about and in um in before. washington for instance um in the sort of um is it called a memorial park where they've got the official statues where there's like the Lincoln Monument, the memorial and all that shit and the the, the statues of all their national heroes, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a statue of Martin Luther King there, right? Obviously begrudgingly by the establishment to put a civil rights leader there. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but there are no national monuments to Malcolm X. No. Right? And to the idea that... Um, that the civil think, rights struggle should be confrontational. Why do you think that is? Do you think because it's because it was, Malcolm because X was, was seen as more of a like, revolution, yeah, revolutionary? Yeah, exactly. Like there are no, there are no, um, there are no statues dedicated to the Black Panthers, are there? But they run no. like they very run, true. They run very like true. food programs. They didn't. They didn't just like. They, they've been sort of characterised to us as, as just terrorists, terrorists, black people that carried guns and um, and were vi like violent. But mm -hmm. violence and aggression, what they understood was one of many tools to be used yeah. in a, in a social and political struggle so by writing off those characters characters by writing off those <laughs> aspects of history uh -huh. and by only memorializing peaceful protest so not only are we in britain say like remembering that we're not racist but it's the rest of the world that is we're also remembering that racism is overcome by peaceful sit-ins and that everybody that partakes in acts of aggression is a thug. Yeah? So this is why... And then we get focus on black faces smashing a window and of course we so the as way white people that have been yeah. socialised throughout generations to look and see things a certain way are encouraged to see that these are thugs yeah. look at these cultural depictions you've got that show you that black people are thugs and look at these national and international memorialisations we've got that show you that when black people are peaceful then oppression is overcome yeah nothing, nothing's black and white pardon the pun <laughs> Nothing. Everything is this weird uh, shade of grey, and yeah. 
and you know Indeed, like so aggression that's is the world useful. that's the world you know it can be very destructive i would advise everyone to go and listen to public image limited because uh, they've got a song called rise which is actually about Mel- nelson mandela and he's got this lyric john Lydon, uh where he goes like uh, anger is an energy you know it's true anger is an energy you can use it you know you can use it in the same way you can use it for uh, to hurt others we can use it to start movements to start revolutions to make actual change in the world no one's no one's gonna like you know no one's gonna actually make any physical change with uh which is like especially in the case of uh, america now is no one's gonna that's why they went to rioting so quickly because they've done for generations the peaceful protest they've done that so they're, they're at a point now where the only thing, the only way that they can feel listened to and appreciated and like their struggle is um, is something to be acknowledged is through rioting, is through um, sort of these revolutionary actions. So yeah, I think also that's my... like, when people are trying to write off rioting and say, what do people hope to achieve by this? I think it's very important to understand in relation to the conversation we've been out on mental health and impulsive reaction, that it's not generally, I, I don't think when people riot and loot, they think it's going to achieve anything. It's a psychological reaction. It's like, when you've been pushed, you break, and you don't think you're going to achieve something from it. You don't think about it till afterwards. You just don't do care you? at that point. You just do it, and then and then it's afterwards. You might you might evaluate your actions. So I completely empathise, man. I well, I mean, yeah. I attempt to. I, I attempt to. Obviously, I can't. Like I said, I can't put myself fully in a position of someone that's been so systematically fucking oppressed. Mm-hmm. But I can understand how rage makes people do things that they didn't think were going to make a change, didn't think were going to achieve anything, but just made them feel a bit fucking better for a minute, man. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Smash 100%. something. We've all fucking smashed something, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. man. How can we condemn people for doing the same thing? Yeah. All right. So I, I do want to wrap this up because I'm hungry and I'm tired and I want to go to bed. But It's been, it's been good. <laughs> I would, I'd like the thing on my magical list of uh, of magic that I had was um, the last thing was hope and whatever that means to you, right? And I feel like that would be a really good way of ending. Uh, so we talked about a lot of things, really. <coughs> right now, man, after the conversations we've just had, obviously I'm inspired to think a lot. Hope is uh, for me about the idea that I can personally become a better person. I can change. Uh, in my personal expressions of uh, of trying to assert myself, yeah. I don't have to. Uh, um, assertion doesn't have to equal aggression or rage. I can I can be a better and more expressive person mm-hmm. without being destructive. Also, I can recognise when anger can be a utility. Uh, in a wider sense, I think that hope right now means that um, in in this wider political context, that regardless of um, the news media's attempt to push people's focus onto violent action, people majoritarily are still very much focused on the violent action of the police and and an oppressive system rather than the impulsive violent action, a violent psychological reaction of people to hideous things that have been done to them. Yeah. Okay. And also, 
you know if you have that perspective then you can uh you can pass that perspective on to the people that you love and the people that surround you you're you're the you're the center of a network of people again yeah that's what we're doing as artists isn't it that's what the hope is the hope is oh, that oh, we can affect someone and we can make them yeah art is art is communication to me yeah we it's, can communicate it's ideas and those, those ideas can you change know. the uh the possible boundaries of society. Boris Johnson, you know. Boris Johnson can get up and do as many fucking speeches as he wants, but it's not going to move you in the same way that a, that a truly great painting will, or a truly great song will. You know, if a if a piece of music can bring you to tears, if a piece of music can change your life, that that beats that beats anything. Yeah, beats anything uh, that a politician or that a person in the establishment can say to you or express to you you know they could shove as many hollow lies down your throat art is the truth the mad truth boom boom man <laughs> and on that yeah that's quality that's quality <laughs> big up psychedelic substances <laughs> big, up. big up anyone using art and music as a form of activism big up anyone fighting for something good man much love man much love listen shake on that much love much love peace uh yeah go and like the facebook page uh go and support the loft um you can google it they're real they exist <laughs> the <laughs> loft can... recording and rehearsal studios you know dsb dirty scrounging bastards poetry scum nottingham's premier and onlyest working class spoken word um and poetry <laughs> night <laughs> Boom, and uh, yeah, just keep your ears out, everyone. Stay safe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Last word? Last word? Last word. Word. Sweet. <laughs>